Renegade Rewatch Podcast. I'm Carrie. I'm Rachel. And today we're talking about Stargate SG-1 Season 3, Episode 7, Dead Man Switch. Your favorite episode, I'm sure. Yes, this is totally in my favorite episodes of all time of Stargate SG-1. She said sarcastically. We both rewatched it yesterday. How much do we remember? (laughs) Well, considering I had to rewatch it again just before this. Like, this is one of those episodes where, like, it's fine. It's fine. But it just, it's kind of there. Mm-hmm. You know? And nothing really Somebody ever... was on vacation and they were like, all right. I don't, I mean, considering who it was written, directed by, and who the guest star is, like, it should have been cool. But there are maybe reasons why it was not, which we'll get into. All right. Possibly. Oh, was the guest star supposed to be somebody amazing? Were we supposed to, like, yes. recognize who he is? Yes. Oh. You did not? No? No. Okay. Well, I will tell you. <laughs> I was just like, I was that guy. <laughs> when we get into it and he makes his appearance, I will give the fun facts as to who this gentleman is and why he's awesome and why you should know him. And why <laughs> Don't keep me waiting any longer. Okay. Well, then let's get into it. So this is Dead Man Switch. It originally aired on August 6th, 1999. It was written by Robert C. Cooper and directed by Martin Wood. And in this episode, SG-1 is captured by Eris Bach, a bounty hunter chasing an evil ghoul named Keltar. He offers them freedom in exchange for their help. They agree, only to find that Keltar is in fact a Tok'ra, whose capture would endanger countless others. What? Yes. Plot twist. Mm-hmm. So this episode opens with SG-1 walking through the Vancouver woods on an alien planet, looking for a UAV that has been shot down. And Tilk finds it, and it appears to have been shot down by a staff weapon, but Daniel comments that there's sort of no indication of any Gould activity. Like, usually when Goulds take over a planet, they, like, guard the gate, and there's no Goulds in sight and everything, blah, blah, blah. And as he's rambling, he then runs face first into an energy shield, which I have to... Yeah, and I have to, like, good acting by Michael Shakes for, like, running into nothing and pretending it's something. Yeah. So... Uh, the same thing that happens to Sam. So Jack tells her, like, get down, and he attempts to shoot through the shield with his gun, and it does not work. So this guy then steps out from behind a tree, and he kind of sounds like a ghoul. Like, he's got some kind of voice modulating thing going on, and apparently his weapon can pass through the shield, which he demonstrates by shooting it and blowing up part of, like, a fallen tree six inches from Tilk's face, who does not even so much as flinch. Which I love. Yes. I really want to know how they did that because Christopher Judge, like, was this two-shot super? I don't know what they did if it was just angles and it really wasn't as close as it looked, but, no, yeah. No, dude, it was his nerves of steel. Some, yeah. He's nerves got, of steel. Yes. So this stranger introduces himself as Eris Bach, one of the galaxy's greatest bounty hunters, and nope, never heard of him. No. He knows who all of SG-1 are, though, although he does still call Sam Captain, which is interesting. So awesome, SG-1 is famous. Cool. Yay. So the actor playing Eris Bach... Do you, do you have any idea who this gentleman might be? No, and now I feel silly that, like, I should have been like, oh, my God, it's that dude. No. Oh, man, I'm going to be the person who's like, I have no clue who that is. 
It's Sam J. Jones, who was Flash Gordon. <laughs> See, I also never watched Slash Garden, but uh, I feel like that's a pop culture thing that I really should have known. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And apparently, um, so like on his costume, that like chest piece, that little sort of emblem in the middle kind of looks like Flash Gordon's ship, like like sort of an like a top down view. Mm-hmm. Of they did, they did an homage for him. Yeah, maybe if you kind of squint and tilt your head at it a little bit. Yeah. So, um, right. yeah. So here we have Sam J. Jones, uh, Flash Gordon, in the okay. 1980s. Sorry. Sorry, I had no idea to the world at large. But no, I never did watch Flash Gordon. Although I <laughs> I feel like I should have known that. Yes. Um, so would you like to know now why this episode was maybe not as awesome? Do you want to save it for the end after we've gone through everything? No, you might as well get to it. Was he just like, hey, I like Stargate. Write me an episode. No, apparently he was allegedly, allegedly from like reports at conventions, like early, like early conventions day before like videos were really a thing that happened at conventions. Um, he was not great to work with and like never knew his lines and was just kind of a dick. Mm-hmm. Allegedly. Allegedly. Let me just say allegedly. Mm-hmm. You've heard it in rumors so, and stories on yes. paintings on walls. Yes. So, yeah, apparently why this episode maybe turned out not so great is because this guest star who was probably supposed to be super awesome was kind of just really not. Mm-hmm. So, Yeah. That's unfortunate. So it's pretty much everybody just like dealing with whatever he was throwing at him at the time. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Oh, that totally fits. <laughs> right? It, yes. it, it, it makes the episode makes so much more sense, right? Yes, it does. Yep. All right. Well, I'm okay. glad we I'm glad we know this before because now we can discuss it all the way okay. through. Yeah. At length. Okay. All righty. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Proceed. All right. Um, so we come back from the opening credits and Eris orders them to put down their weapons. And Jack does the thing where he tries to throw his knife through the shield. But this is not the same as the Gould personal shield thing. And also he's disabled the DHD so they can't dial out and get away. So uh, this way, please. And they're walking through the forest when they come to a clearing and Eris tells them to stop and drop their gear. And Daniel's like, hey, can we like talk about this? Like there's no need for all of this. And Eris Bach just orders them inside and Jack's like, inside where? And Eris then says, Brokna. And there is a door that reveals itself. And it looks like it is a Gould ship of some sort. And once inside, Tilk comments that this is a Gould cargo ship though of an older design but the cloaking is new and so this is the first appearance we have on screen of the Gould cargo ship which will be featured heavily in future episodes because they they built one and then they were like hey we're gonna put it we they built one to very specific specifications and they were like hey this thing was freaking expensive we're gonna put it in every single episode we possibly can we need to use this all the time (laughs) (laughs) 
Um, also, there's no bathroom on it. No. 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 Not apparently not. No. no. I don't. At least I don't see where there could be one. So that's interesting. Okay. But anyway. Do you after our discussion of the <laughs> of the one episode where they had to put on the ruse? Yeah. You do you still think about like okay so in order to design this thing that means there had to been some Gould like aerodynamics meetings and somewhere they're like let's go with this theme. <laughs> where and not like, really Gould but it designers? probably will now yeah. <laughs> who's like yeah who's the Gould designer why okay here's the other question so if if the Goulds are such a fractured and splintered sort of group that are always warring with each other. Why does all of their stuff look exactly the same? Yes, that's a very good point. Like, is there, like, a central, like, dealer that they all get their stuff from? <laughs> We're all doing this now. Like, is there just one guy who builds the Hatak vessels and everybody gets them from him? So that's why they all look the same, because he can make them for cheap, because they all look the same. Mm-hmm. All of their armor oh. is the same color. Yeah. Yeah. Why does everything look so Why there isn't a ghoul that's just like, no, I, mm-mm. I'm doing I want this to be more like bohemian and like maybe some glitter. Yeah. You want alien where's, glitter? Where's like the flash ghoul? I mean, all the ghouls are kind of flash, so, but like. Where's the so ghoul that's the, into diamonds? <laughs> where's the goth ghoul who just wants everything black? Forget the gold and the silver. Just give me black. <gasps> that would be amazing. That guy. Man, yes. Yes. Or yeah. the one that was kind of like the hippie gold. <laughs> Curtains and like velvet everywhere. <laughs> the gold that wasn't really into world domination. He finally was like, I've been around for like 30,000 years. I'm good. I'm just going to chill. I got my planet. I'm fine. <laughs> I'm just going to chill out for a while. <laughs> Anyway, um, pretend that happened. I'm there's got to be some gold like that out there somewhere. There's mm-hmm. got to be, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so Eris takes them to like a storage room and locks them in. And Sam comments that he's like not gold, and Jack's like, and so therefore, but what? So, okay, cool, but what does that mean? Which, as much as this episode is kind of like, eh, like this is sort of peak Jack O'Neill. Mm-hmm. Like quips and witticisms and stuff going on here. Yeah. 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 Well, there wasn't really a lot of, as you pointed out before. Now that you mentioned Jack, the Jack character is kind of like the exposition. You know, the audience that's like, what is going? There wasn't really a lot that needed to be explained in this one. So I'm sure they were like, okay, we can give him his brain back now. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> he is like, he's got a little smart thing later on mm-hmm. that, like, good for Jack for thinking of that thing. That yeah. I don't know why nobody else did. But anyway, mm-hmm. um, so they're locked in the room and there's then the sound of a door opening and closing. And so it appears that Eris has left them alone in the ship. And Jack's like, OK, great. Let's get out of this ship. How do we do that? And Daniel reminds Jack that even if they were able to get out of the ship, the DHD has been disabled. And Jack's like, OK, so how fast can the ship fly? And according to Tilk, it can fly at twice the speed of light. And Jack's like, great, home in time for dinner. And Sam's like, uh, not, no, not really, because it would still take like 10 years to get home from where we are. So uh, no. not so much. No. 
So we then cut to Eris Bach making his way back through the forest, and he has apparently been injured. And SG-1, like, hear him entering the ship, and Jack sort of nods at Tilk to sort of stand to the side of the door of the room that they're in so they can try and ambush him. But this Eris Bach, Eris Bach guy is apparently way smarter than them. And when the door opens, his gun is pointing directly at Tilk. So he apparently somehow knows all their tricks. He's super smart and Super anticipative. Yes. Is that a word? Anticipative? Anticipative? I see you shiver with anticipation. Uh, sure. Yeah. Why not? It is today. It is. Yes. It is for this episode right now. <laughs> <laughs> um, so he enters the little storage room and takes off his helmet and then orders Daniel to treat his injury because he's a doctor. He's like, And Daniel's like, of archaeology not i'm not a doctor doctor just doctor of archaeology and aerosolak is like okay fine captain help you must have some medical training and she's like i'm a major now and then kind of winces at herself (laughs) saying that which is like (laughs) and he's like great i'll inform the galaxy good for you can you help me with this little wound i have going on so jack gives her the go ahead to help and you know so he, she heads over there and he points at all the things he has in his little like first aid kit and she gets to it. And it's interesting that, so Eris Fox blood is this sort of yellowy green thing. So he's apparently not exactly human like SG-1 is, which is interesting. Yeah. Did you notice that like the first thing she does is goes over and like sticks her finger in it? <laughs> I, yeah. <laughs> What medical doctor is like, ooh, I don't know what this is. I want to touch it. I'm going to poke it. Let me, yeah. I don't know. He's probably like, what is this? Why is this weird? I don't know. That was so funny. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so Jack then starts asking Eris Bach questions about, like, who he is and what's going on. And it turns out that capturing SG-1 was a complete accident because he's actually here on this planet to capture a ghoul by the name of Keltar. And neither Daniel nor Tilk have heard of him. And Eris Bach replies, well, contrary to popular human belief, the Earth is not the center of the galaxy. <laughs> I find, like, there are so many quips of these. Are like, oh, you Earth people. Oh, yeah. like, as if the rest of the galaxy is now well-versed in, yeah. in Earth ways and attitudes and types of people. Yeah. I found that to be so odd. It is a little weird. It's like, it's been a year and a half, maybe, since the gate has been reopened. And, like, the ghoul have known that Earth is now a thing. And, yeah, somehow word has spread about just Earth and our attitudes and thoughts about everything, apparently. Yeah. I I don't get it. I don't either. No. So what's happening here? So apparently... Sokar found out that Keltar was plotting against him and hired Eris Bach to find this Keltar guy. So he's like a bounty hunter. He'll do anything for any price as long as they pay. And Daniel's like, okay, so what, what, like, what are we worth? And Jack's like, why are you asking this question? He's like, well, if we know what we're worth, we might be able to like trade something and get out of the situation that we're in. I would totally want to know. Yeah, so we find out Tilk is worth the most, obviously. That's, yeah, of course. Uh, then we have Sam, because she has Jolinar's memories, which is important. Jack is, well, he's just a huge pain in the mikta. 
which I love this exchange where he just goes neck and took just pauses and goes, no. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot about that. I do like yeah. that. Yeah. No. Uh, and Daniel's like, well, he can maybe get like a day's rations for Daniel. And Daniel's like kind of insulted by that, it seems. Mm-hmm. Like, really? That's all the day's rations? Right. Okay, fine. But there about this Eris Bach. Eris Bach. I, for some reason, I have to say his whole name. Like, he's he can't just be Eris. He's like Eris Bach. It flows why. together way too well. It does. It is. I mean, I will say it's a good name, Eris Bach. It's a mm-hmm. good name. Um, so maybe there is something SG-1 can do to help him. So the injury he's got is going to take some time to heal. And he wants to capture this ghoul before Sokar figures out where he is and just comes himself to get Keltar. So if SG-1 help him capture Keltar, he'll let them go. And they can't, you know. They don't really know if they can trust him to keep his word, but they also don't really have a choice at this point. So Jack and Daniel are going to go with him and Tilk and Sam are going to stay on the ship. And Jack's like, I'm sorry, what? No, that's not going to happen. But again, just yeah, no choice. If you want this mm-hmm. to happen, this is how it's going to go. So, yeah. okay. Off they go. And as they're walking through the woods, Eris holsters his weapon and Jack is like, that's interesting. And he's like, I'm trusting you. This is trust. This is how we like build a bond between us. So, okay. And then he takes out like a water bottle and adds some kind of blue liquid to it before drinking it. And apparently Eris Buck's plan is to have Jack and Daniel surrender to Keltak in order to get close enough to shoot him with a Zat gun. Well... They're exactly one zap gun short of having a zap gun, which is, you know, again, another fun little quippy thing. Mm-hmm. So Erisbach just gives them one, which it was weird. Like when he pulls it out from wherever he has a stash, there's like this really weird mechanical sound. Like it's in some kind of container of some sort, which makes no sense because it's just like strapped to his belt. Yeah, that's weird. Like the sound effects were just really weird at that so Jack's like, you're giving me a working zat. Okay, cool. And then promptly just shoots Eris Bach with it. Yes. So he falls to the ground unconscious because it was one Zach on blast and that's what happens. And so Daniel reminds Jack that they have no way off the planet and they can't fly home because it's too far. And Jack's like, okay, so we fly to a closer planet with a gate and then gate home from there. And Daniel's like, oh, yeah, that's the thing we could do. So yeah, how did nobody think of that already? I know. That how did like- Sam not think of that? Like, duh. Yeah. That was like the first thought I thought. Thir- yeah. yeah, the first thought I had. Yeah. So they start to head back and Daniel stops to grab Eris Bach's gun, which is good for Daniel. And But the camera kind of stays on Eris Bach for a moment and he then just opens his eyes and smiles. So something. They up. were going to do it the whole time. Yep. Oh. Yep. He's so anticipatory. Mm-hmm. And he knows exactly what they're thinking at every moment. <laughs> So, so Jack and Daniel get back to the clearing where the ship was with Michael, for some reason, choosing to, like, jump through the little tree bush thing rather than walk around it for right. some reason. I'm like, hmm. Michael, what are you doing? I don't know. But the ship is, you know, cloaked, and it kind of, like, takes them a minute to remember what the secret word is to open the door. And they finally get in, and then they try to open the door to let Sam and Tilk out, but neither of them remember the right combination of the little symbols on the keypad thing. And Jack asks Tilk how to fly the ship when they kind of, he, like, takes notice of some, like, flashing lights on the main console as an automated voice says something. And he just kind of leans over and looks at it and goes, oh, Daniel, could you come here a moment? Like, all casual and calm, just like, Mm -hmm. hey, 
there's something interesting over here. And guess what? It's like a countdown to a self-destruct because, of course, why why wouldn't there be a self-destruct on this ship? Right. So, okay, cool. Tilk, how do we, like, turn off the self-destruct inside that console where the self-destruct device is? There should be three Delmax Kimi crystals. Three crystals. Well, turns out there's only two. So, Aristoc must have the third. And so, Jack tells Daniel to, like, go get it from... Eris Bach, but turns out Eris Bach is already back at the ship and Daniel tries to fire the gun, but apparently only Eris Bach can shoot it. So they head back in and Eris Bach is very displeased at like what has happened, but it turns out the self-destruct doesn't actually go off because it needs all three crystals to be actually active and on, which like, how did it I'm not sure what start? Told him. Yeah. Yeah. So... That whole exchange is very weird. Yeah, I don't quite get what the whole self-destruct thing is. If it needs three crystals to actually work, why did it even turn on? I don't know. Yeah. But it also turns out that, like, zap blasts don't affect him. And he shoots. I will give this is a little funny where he shoots himself and just goes, ooh, it tingles. <laughs> like, <laughs> I mean, that's a little amusing. Yeah, so, yeah. And, you know, Eric back is all like, why? Why would you do that? And Jack's like, come on, what did you expect us to do? While Daniel then, like, bats his eyes and, like, smiles at Eris and flirts with him and asks if the deal is still on the table. <laughs> what every girl would have done at this point. I mean, can How you classify that, that as anything you? else but flirting? Like, yes. that is, like, flirting 101, what Daniel is doing <laughs> here. I'm sorry. Oh. It's like, I'm sorry, is this still on the table? <laughs> Please, Mr. Man. Um... But Aerosbach is like, how could I possibly trust you after what you just did? And Jack's like, well, your plan was stupid anyway. It was a dumb plan. It was never going to work. And so Aerosbach is like, fine, let's all go. And you can tell me what your plan is going to be. And Jack's like, we need our stuff. And he's like, okay, fine. Get your stuff and let's go. So it kind of seems like Aerosbach is like over them already. Like he just like, he like just captured them and he already like wants to be done. Yeah. With their shenanigans and whatever yeah. they're doing. So while everybody's traipsing through the woods, we actually learn some very, very interesting information that never comes up ever again in the rest of the show. Apparently, Eris Bach and his people could not be blended with a Gould symbiote. Like, the Goulds tried, but something in their physiology just rejects a Gould symbiote. And they, it won't blend, it won't happen. And Sam's like, that's so cool. And he's like, yeah, it's so cool. They like murdered my whole planet, including his wife. And his son is now a slave in one of the Sokar's Nequitamines. Boo. Yeah. And so basically the reason Aerosbach keeps doing this like bounty hunter thing is in the hopes that one day he might be able to get something that's valuable enough to bargain for his son's freedom, which I get that. I can understand that. Mm-hmm. So they finally reach the area where Eris Bach last saw Keltar, and he tells them that when he tried to capture the gold last time, he was, like, fired upon from several directions, even though there's only one guy. So there's apparently some kind of booby trap situation happening. So Eris Bach lets everybody but Sam go to, like, try and go get Keltar and capture him. But Sam Sus- is staying. Suspicious. Yes, a little bit. On the way down to the little cave thing, Jack asks Tilk how a single gold might be able to fire from multiple directions at the same time. And Tilk answers, tax. 
And Jack goes, Technicatels? And Tilt goes, no. <clears throat> let me let me see. I don't know if I can pronounce this. We're, I'm going to try my best. Apparently, these weapons are called Takunitagaminitarans. I did something. Who named that? I do. Robert C. Cooper. He wrote this episode. So Robert C. Cooper, how dare you? That is just like a keyboard smash of a word. That's somebody just going meh on the keyboard and saying like, what comes up? So, oh, yeah. I wonder if anybody's ever done that when they name something. Just gone bleh. Yeah, I don't know. So anyway, so tax. Apparently, these are a form of an automated weapon. And they appear to be heat-seeking because they, like, throw a rock down there, but it doesn't trigger them. But then they throw a flare, and it does. So after they throw the flare, they kind of see where the tacks fire from. And Tilk and Jack then zat the tacks to take them out of commission. They do what now? They zat the tacks. (laughs) Jack and Tilk zat the tacks. Political campaign. (laughs) (laughs) Zat the tacks! Maybe. I mean, if you think about tax as in, like, a tax on the thing. I don't know. Grab um, the tax, man. Fight the power. Yes. So Tilk then throws a smoke bomb into the cave, which forces Keltar out. And he's injured, but also armed with a hand device, which he fires at, like, Tilk and Daniel, who managed to avoid it. And they yell at him to surrender. But uh, it's it's the host that answers them not the gould inside uh, and it turns out this is Korra and he is a Tokra not a gould. Oh man plot twist. Yes very good I plot twist. I did not see that coming You didn't? No I kind of did. Yeah <laughs> So back with Sam and Arisbach he's looking at some kind of like tracking device and Sam has the realization somehow that he's tracking the Nequita that's in their weapons not like them themselves. And she then tries and gets him to help her with being able to study his people and this sort of immunity against possession that they have, because it could help in defeating the Gould once and for all. And he just basically like laughs at that because what, what could they possibly have worth trading? And she's like, what about freeing your son? And he says that's impossible as he takes another drink of that blue liquid stuff. Oh, yeah. So, and she asks him what it is. And he's like, flavor. Flavor. Mm-hmm. Just flavor. Yeah. Yep. So the boys are talking with Cora. And Jack is a little worried that he might just be a ghoul that's doing the whole, I'm a Tok'ra, help me thing. But isn't actually a Tok'ra. And Cora says that Sam would know. And, like, names like Jacob Carter and their names and everything and like is kind of giving Tokra specific information and that's probably like why Eris Bach kept her away because Sam would probably be able to recognize Korra as a Tokra and so Korra was a spy in Sokar's ranks and he believed that Sokar had learned his true identity as a Tokra so he stole that cargo ship and came here and so the ship is his, not Eris Box. And somehow Eris Box was already here waiting. And he's probably going to be trading the ship and everyone, including SG-1, back to Sokar. Hmm. How are we going to get trust? out of this? Which one do we trust? No. That was my question for, like, the end of the episode. Like, who's telling, like, what, like, what is the truth in this situation? Yeah. 
Um, they don't really resolve anything. No, not really. No. no. So Arisbach asks Sam what it was like having a symbiote in her brain, and she tries to really educate him on the difference between the Gould and the Tok'ra, and that if he really hates the Gould, he would try to learn more about the Tok'ra and maybe try and, like, be friends with them. And he also thinks it's completely laughable that the defeat of the Gould is one of their goals, as, like, you know, Earth is one of the things they want to do. And she's like, you know, if enough of the right people work together, maybe it's not such an impossible thing. And he's like, well, I'm not going to help you. So do what you got to do, but leave me out of it. She should have been like, you know, the funny thing is, is that like only like 50 people even know about the Gould on Earth. So (laughs) this isn't really a whole planet wide dream. (laughs) Yeah. There's like the people of the SGC and like that's it. Yeah. (laughs) And Sam actually then accuses him of, like, not really actually liking his job, which I I guess, maybe, I don't know. And he then, like, points his gun at her and being all threatening and telling her to shut up. And, um, like, she notices his hand is shaking as he takes another drink of that thing. So according to Cora, Eris was just completely lying about his wife and son. Like, neither of them exist. He's just, like, a lying liar who lies, who will say and do whatever he needs to do in order to get whatever it is that he wants. But, like, the thing about his people not being able to be hosts, though, is true. So what happened was, is the Gould got his people addicted addicted to this substance called Roshna. And now, like, generations later, that if they don't have it, they'll die. Like, their body now needs this substance to continue living. It's just like cocaine. <laughs> sure, yes. So, but that that's apparently what that blue stuff is that he's been putting in his water, is Roshna. So they're like, great, we still got to get Sam away from him because, you know, Sam's still there. And Jack kind of doesn't quite 100% believe Cora yet. But again, just no choice at this point. So they start to head off when Cora tells them they need to leave their weapons because Eris Bach can track them. Eris Bach then notices that they're no longer moving on that little tracking device. So either Keltar has captured them or they're tricking him. So he decides to shoot Sam with his little laser gun thing. And she falls down, hopefully just unconscious, as he slips away. So the rest of SG-1 and Cora find Sam and immediately know that it's a trap. And Tilk's like, I'm gonna go. And Jack's like, no. I'm going to go. You need to stay and, like, be a distraction and, like, take him out when he shows up to try and take me out or whatever is happening with this trap. Jack heads over, rouses her. They look around for Erisbach. They don't see him. And, oh, wait, there he is in his ship. So uh, that didn't quite work. But Tilk Daniel and Laura managed to slip away unnoticed. So Jack and Sam are back in the storage room on the cargo ship. And apparently Sam, like, passed out again. So whatever Eris box weapon is, is quite strong, whatever the effects of it are. Knocked you out for a long time. Yeah. But Jack finally finally manages to rouse her and fills her in on what's happened. And the name Korra does ring a bell. So, okay, this guy probably really is a Tok'ra. And then the doors open and Eris has captured everybody else. And Jack's like, hey, great job of not getting captured, guys. Yeah. Well done. Yay, good for you. And Aris, Aris Bach is just like, hey, maybe I'm just that good. Which, I mean, I don't know. Aris Bach versus Tilk. Mm, could go either way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so, turns out, Aris Bach is going to uphold his end of the deal. He has Keltar slash Korra, so SG-1 can go. And they're like, uh, nope. They're like, what? 
we're no, we're not going to do that because this is Tokra. He's a good guy. And Korra's like, I will not allow, I will not betray any Tokra. And then Eris shoots him and reaches into Korra's mouth because apparently Korra was about to bite down on some kind of like poison capsule. And Eris Bach is like, why would a ghoul do that? It's like, well, because the Sam has been telling you the Tokra are not the ghouled. He did it to save Tokra lives because that's what the Tokra do. Yeah, there was a very interesting, like, it was a weird moment where he's like, just having an existential crisis. Like, why yeah. would he, why? would he sacrifice himself? It was almost like, like Star Trekian. Why would he do that? Yes, yes. Sacrifice himself for other people. Yes. <laughs> because that's what the Toka do. But uh, Arisbach has already called Sokar and Sokar is on his way. So, I mean, they can't just, like, leave because then Sokar will just track them down and kill everybody. Like, he's got to give Sokar something. And Tilk's like, I'll go. And Jack's like, no, you're not going to go. And Tilk's like, yes, I'm going to go. It's fine. It's happening again. We have no choice. So there's, like, an alarm starts sounding. And so Sokar is here. And Arisbach is like, okay, I'm taking Tilk. Y'all can go. Here's the missing piece of the DHD. And off they go with the promise that, you know, they'll find Tilk and ra- and rescue him from whatever happens. So question, how yes. far away did the other dude have to be? Like, <laughs> it seems like he showed up in like 10 minutes. Yeah, I mean, with Sokar already sort of on his way in that general, like, vicinity of space. And then Aerospock was just like, hey, I'm here. I'm not on that planet. I'm on this planet. Yeah. Maybe. It seems like he was way too fast. Like, yeah. they should have had a few hours, if not a day, you know, between yeah. when we called him. Yeah. Seems a little weird. But it's TV, so... But it is TV, and TV minutes. shows are not a day. No. Apparently, this whole thing happens over the course of a couple hours, really. Very weird, isn't it? Yeah. So... Oh, sh- also, yeah. yeah. Like, so, Tio volunteers himself to go... It, from what I could tell, they had no plan on, like, tracking him down and refinding him. I know. They didn't give him, like, a tracking device. They were just like, okay, we'll find you later. Yeah, Where? they were like, How? okay, bye. <laughs> I mean, they know he was going to go to Sokar, so it's a place to start. But, like, you don't think Sokar is just going to kill him immediately? Like, Yeah, like. Where? Who? Yeah. Mm. It was a really, it was not a very well thought out plane. No, it was not. No. no. Yeah. So the ship takes off and Cora wakes up in SG-1, you know, fill him in on that, like, Tilk took his place and off they go to meet Sokar. And Erisbach and Tilk actually have a very moving conversation. And Erisbach tries to understand why Tilk is doing what it is that he's doing. And basically, Tilk would rather be on the side of those who are willing to die to try and fight the Gould rather than, like, not even try at all. Erisbach then apparently has a fuck it moment because we cut sort of back to SG-1 and Korra on the planet and they watch as the cargo ship explodes into escape pods shootout. And so they all rush to find where those pods landed. And apparently Erisbach radioed to Sokar that he had technical difficulties just before he triggered the self-destruct, which he did by removing the third crystal, even though at the beginning of the episode, the self-destruct needs all three crystals in order to actually destruct. Yeah, I don't, I don't even know. 
they 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 lost the plot and the whole self-destruct device somewhere on the way. Yeah. Um. So hopefully Sokar just thinks that they're dead at this point is the best that they can hope for. Mm-hmm. Um. And well, there and you know, so we can't work with Sokar anymore. But apparently there are other gold he can get the Roshna from. Oh, and by the way, Daniel, your bounty way more than a day's rations. The Gould want him dead just as much as anybody else since he's the one that figured out how the gate works. And Daniel's like, thanks, I think, maybe, thanks. Good good to know, maybe. I don't know. I thought that moment was funny. It is. Oh, you know what, people, you're, they want you dead so bad. You're just as horrible to the ghoul as the rest of everybody else. So good for you. They totally want you dead. And he's just like, "Mm, okay. They hate you just as much as everybody else. So congratulations. Yeah. I would have been excited. Yeah. But also it's like, "Mm," but that means they want me more dead than before. So I don't know. Kind of go either way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but Eris Bach then gives Sam a vial of the Roshna in the hopes that maybe they can figure out how to like free his people from the dependency and therefore their dependency on the ghouls. The end. Yeah. Good times. So how much of Eris Bach's story do you think is true? Like we know the whole people can't be possessed by gold thing. Yes. Wife, like wife, son, like what, like, what do you, what do you think? Where did this backstory come from? I, you know, I do believe it. Cause I totally believe that he would actually like tell them the truth and then somewhere be like, yeah, whatever. I'm, I'm an ass. I am a lone wolf. You know, like, I, I feel like it would be more likely that he would have the family and then lie about not having family than the other way around. Okay. But then there's that bit where, like, Cora says that, like, they've been addicted to the Roshna for generations. But Eris Bach's story sounds like this is the thing that, like, just happened. So there's, like, some sort of weird time. There's something with the timelines that don't... That is true. Do we ever revisit this guy? Do we ever see him again? Or is this like, this is all, this is all we get. This is it. We never talk about the Roshna. We never talk about his people. We never hear the words Eris Bach ever again. Mm -hmm. So maybe what it is, is he, like the son in his story is actually him. Like he was captured and worked in the Nakona mines. And he was a kid, so, like, they got his people addicted to it. So, like, it took that long, right? And That's so then his his family would have been killed. So maybe he's telling the story of his own childhood as if he's mm. the dad. So the wife is actually, like, his mom. Yes. That's interesting. Okay. I could see that have a story which is emotional to you that you could tell it legit and it would have been long enough to actually get his people addicted right okay i could see that okay Mm -hmm. so it shall be yeah so it is decreed and then they (laughs) then when he grew up old enough they were like hey you're useful go out and do stuff for us you look like a big strong man Mm -hmm. i mean he's working in the mine he's gonna get muscles and stuff all right. A- any any memos for this week? 
oh memo for today back up zap guns <laughs> have lots of them okay back up zaps have them start thinking of tokra secret passwords oh okay <laughs> have a code word a tokra yes. code word yes tokra code words verification purposes Okay, mm -hmm. that's good. Yeah, because yeah, then Core could just say like "Yellow Submarine" and then they would know. Mhm. Mm okay. Mhm. Mm that's interesting. Okay. Yeah. Why don't they do that? They don't know. They always just communicate like "I am Tokra." Okay. Yeah, it's like, and we know that how. Mhm. Mm so because we we have seen like the ghoul can talk without the ghoul voicey thing, without it being like the host. Mhm. Mm so, hmm, yes, mm. interesting. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, now we're going to have to start brainstorming about what the password would be. I like Yellow Submarine. <laughs> I like Yellow Submarine. <laughs> Hammond from Texas. <laughs> with, the, with the hand gesture? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, it's, like, it's like a word and a secret handshake all in one. Yes. You don't do okay. it together, it's not working. Got it. Okay. Let us know out there. If you guys, what 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 should the Tokra secret password be with yes. like SG personnel to yes. verify that a Tokra is actually a Tokra? Let yeah. us know what you think. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. Yep. Okay. Um, should we get into the title? Yeah. Okay. So, do you know what a dead man switch is? Oh man, I feel like that's something I should have learned from watching the Pirates of the Caribbean movies, but no. Okay, well, it's not that old. You might recognize it from the movie Speed. Because, oh. so a dead man switch is basically a switch where you're always, like, pushing on a button. And it then activates when, like, the person dies and, like, lets go of the button. Ah. So, like, at the end, okay. like, in, so, like, in Speed, for example, like, at the end, after, like, Dennis Hopper's captured Sandra Bullock, and she's, like, strapped in that vest, and he's got his hand, like, duct taped to the explosive, the, the device that controls the explosives on her vest. Right, right, yeah. So, that's a dead man switch. Um, also, less ominous kind of tone, like, treadmills, how they have that, like, key you're supposed to, like, clip to your waistband, and then, like, plug into the machine, so if you, like, fall off the machine, the thing pulls out of the treadmill and stops so you don't like get like killed by the treadmill spinning forever. Oh. So that like that is also a dead man switch. So it's it's any kind of switch that is active in and is good and goes off when it becomes like unactive, if you will. Ah. Okay. So, yes. So it's the opposite of like how switches normally work. So who or what is the dead man switch? It's it's just the button that you hold. No, I mean like like in the episode. How does I mean that that's my question. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, is it like just because at the end, Sokar thinks they're dead? I, I I don't know what Dead Man Switch has to do with anything that happened in this episode. Hmm. Maybe you said it like eighty times. What's the character's name? Keltar. Keltar. No, no. no the um. Eris Bach. Eris Bach. What? I don't know. I'm terrible at those. It's going to be fun. Eris back. What if he is the dead man switch? He's becoming inactive now. Does that make him more or less deadly? In the sense that he's going to stop being a bounty hunter? Yeah. So they've... They, he okay. was a weapon. And now will not be? 
and now will not be, but does that make him more deadly? That's interesting. Perhaps. We don't know. We never find out. We don't no, know. Because <laughs> we never hear his name ever again. So. I feel like this was supposed to be start of sort of like, you know, the start of a beautiful three or four yeah. episode arc popping up and they had a terrible time. So they were like, yes. no. Yeah, exactly. I'm pretty sure that's what happened. Like they kind of expected this guy to come back every now and then because if you look like this type of character, this like the archetype of like who he is and what it is that he does, he's a guy who's like, he kind of knows a lot of stuff that's just happening out there. Definitely somebody that could be of use to the SGC, but apparently the actor was just so terrible to work with, they just completely dropped it. <laughs> no, they said, yeah. we'll call you. And then they never did. Never did. No. No fun, like, foreign language titles to speak. They all translate as, like, bounty hunter or ghoul hunter. So. No. Nothing really interesting there. Um, is the self-destruct on the ship supposed to be the dead man's witch? Whether or not it needs the piece on it? I don't. <laughs> don't. No. Hmm. I don't, yeah, I don't know. Do you guys out there have any thoughts as to why, like, what, like, what is the Dead Man Switch in this episode? Why, why was that the title chosen for this? Please let us know, because mm. we, we don't know. No, it's not, no, I don't, got nothing. No. I didn't have any, like, fun facts this week, either. Oh, mm. Well, except for the fact that it was a terrible episode. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The it... legends and stories. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which, it reminds me of a Stargate Atlantis, but we'll get to that. Okay. When we watch the Stargate Atlantis. When we finally get to Stargate Atlantis. Yep. Mm. Uh, any final thoughts? Uh, I don't know. I'm really enjoying the Toker password idea. Okay. Maybe come back next week and we'll have some more ideas. Yes, I like it. Okay. <laughs> or anytime the Toker pop up, we'll have to come up with a password for that week. <laughs> yes, I like it. Uh, okay well thank you everybody for listening as always you can find us on twitter at sg underscore rewatch or send us an email at woo that's w-o-o-s-g rewatch at gmail.com don't forget to rate and review us please and we will see you next time for demons bye bye